this week we have two Shailas, as always, and uh, the Shailas that we got this week, I think, are both very fascinating Shailas. Here they are. Shaila number one. There is a woman who is a therapist who works in a place that deals with people who are suffering from severe eating disorders, meaning it's inpatient um, you know, treatment for severe eating disorders. The patients eat their meals with a coach, meaning they sit around a table and they have their food, and there's a coach sitting next to each patient who encourages them to eat and gets them to eat in a, uh, in a normal and healthy fashion. From patients who come into the, uh, to the, to the place uh, can request to receive kosher food, and they normally do, and it doesn't really make much of a difference. You know, a tray for chicken and a kosher chicken taste, you know, pretty much the same. One's, you know, kosher chicken's a little saltier, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's no, that's, not a, that's not an issue. And they're, they're happy to provide kosher food. Uh, but this woman works as a coach for, very often, non-from Jewish people who don't order the kosher food. So on the one hand, it's pikuach nefesh that the patients eat because eating disorders are mamish dangerous. It's uh, especially dealing with an inpatient situation. We're dealing with uh, something that that is definitely at least suffik pikuach nefesh. So on the one hand, you have that. But on the other hand, uh, they don't need to eat this food. They have kosher food that's available to them. They're choosing to eat this food. So uh, I'll just uh, say full disclosure, the person that asked me the shayla, I said to them, I, I got the sense that they were uh, giving me fodder for a shear and weren't really asking the shayla. I said, no, who did you really ask? And uh, they said, um, the shayla was asked to Rabbi Sabalovsky, and he was matir, but I'm choshesh that the shayla was not presented properly, meaning that they didn't make it clear to him that kosher food is also available in this place and that the patient has just chosen not to eat the kosher food. So the Shaila is, is a, is a Jewish woman allowed to work as a Jewish eating coach to help a, another Jewish woman, or uh, you know, or man for that matter, eat uh, non-kosher food. Bales and Trefas Mamish. So that is Shaila number one. Shaila number two. A married woman who has never used the mikvah. She's not uh, not observant of uh, any, you know, most halachas, including Taras HaMeshbacha. Uh, she's now nine months pregnant. This uh, non-religious, not what is not yet religious woman, is uh, nine months uh, nine months pregnant and is going to use the mikvah because one of her friends told her, "Look, I'm looking to be able to get pregnant, and I'm having a hard time with fertility. And it's a big skula if I go to the mikvah together with a woman who's nine months pregnant. So would you be willing to go to the mikvah with me?" Um, so that I can have this skula of going to the mikvah with someone who's pregnant, that will help me uh, get pregnant. It's a big skula. And uh, these are Sephardic uh, women, so, you know, into the skulas, you know, they, they like the skulas. So uh, she went, so this nine-month pregnant woman went. So uh, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, mikvah attendant, the, uh, the mikvah lady, um, was asking her, like, what are you doing here? And she was saying why she, uh, you know, what she was doing there. And then um, the friend said, well, does she have to do chafifa to wash off any chatzitzas or anything else that might be on, on her body? And uh, the, the, the mikvah attendant said, I have another question. Um, should she say a bracha? Meaning she's here at the mikvah. She's definitely anita because she's never been to the mikvah before in her life. Right, so she's definitely Anita. So should she be saying a bracha when she's tovel, um, or maybe not? Maybe she shouldn't be saying a uh, a bracha um, because she didn't do any of the other things you're supposed to do before you go to the mikvah. She didn't do avsetarim. She didn't do shivin She didn't do she didn't do anything 
before you go to the mikvah. So uh, can, can she, should she uh, say a bracha? So I thought that, I, I got that shayla one night this week and uh, the, the text came in, this is a live shayla, like, uh, you know, omid ala perek, like right now, what do you, what do you say? So, uh, so those are the two shaylas. So again, shayla number one, feeding non-kosher to people with Rahman al eating disorder. And shayla number two, a bracha, a mikvah for a woman who is nine months pregnant and has never been to the mikvah before. So we'll ask those who are on, well, first we'll do the in-person voting. Uh, all those who would prefer shayla number one. Okay. All those who prefer shayla number two. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what, what the... Uh, what the uh, Zoom voting's like. Ooh, overwhelming for Shiloh number two on the Zoom voting. Yeah, I think I think it's a better Shiloh. But I mean, I think that I think that they're both good Shilohs. But uh, you know, I, yeah. So which one? Okay, so maybe we'll do uh, Shiloh number. Two. Oh, now someone, of course, right after I say that, someone pops in with Shiloh number one. Thank you, Henry. Um, okay, so uh, so let's. Um, um, now I don't know. I'm torn. Um, <laughs> um, I'm a little torn. Um, okay, let's do the first one that opened up here right now is Shaila number two. Okay, so let's do Shaila number two. Brach on the mikvah for the woman who's nine. Right, that was the Shaila number two? Yes. Brach on the, on the mikvah for the woman who's nine months pregnant. So first thing to, to, I mean, there are a lot of things to figure out over here. First thing is just out of curiosity, more of a curiosity than anything else is what's the deal with this school? Is that really a thing? Like, you go to the mikvah with a nine-month, right, you realize that the baby doesn't jump out of her belly into yours, right? I mean, you ha- how do you get pregnant just because you go to the mikvah with a nine-month pregnant lady? Is that a real school? Is that a thing uh, to begin with? Then, but that's not really relevant to the shayla because as long as she's doing it, who cares whether it, you know, counts for anything or not, you know, whether it actually will help the, uh, the friend. But that's just a curiosity. But then we have to discuss, you know, whenever it comes to tevila that's because of a suffix or because of some issue, you know, let's say the rabbi says, I'm not sure about this, Mara, uh, let's be machmir, let's be cautious, because I'm not sure. So does woman make a bracha on that? On that tefillah? I mean, normally, suffix bracha is lahakel, but do you ever hear of someone, a woman who's told to go to the mikvah? I guess you guys are young, you haven't been told about too many times about women going to the mikvah, but um, you never hear of, uh, of, of women going to the mikvah where, uh, where they're told not to, say, not to say a bracha. So what's behind that? Why are we saying brachas all the time at the mikvah? Half the time, it's probably a suffix. You know, it's not even necessarily um, uh, vade that, she, that, that, that many of the women that are that are going to the mikvah need to be going to the mikvah. Third thing to discuss is like, what exactly is ma'akev in terms of the tevila? Meaning, what would, uh, does the fact that she didn't do anything in advance make it that her tevila uh, didn't count in the sense that she would have to go again? And not just what's ma'akev in the tevila, is there any value in the tevila? Meaning, is there any reason to say that even if she would have to go again, but she's still accomplishing something by going now without having done any of the preparations uh, in advance. So is there any reason that we might say a bracha because of potential value in the tevila? And then you've got to take a step back and say, why are we allowing this? Meaning, why are we allowing a woman to go to... Should we be allowing that? Meaning, someone says, uh, yeah, I want to go to the mikvah. I'm just not interested in doing any of the things that the halacha requires me to do in order to go to the mikvah. You know what we would normally say? Uh, go find somewhere else. You can't go to, you know, if a, if a woman were to show up at the mikvah in, uh, in, a, um, in uh, a scuba diving suit, right? And we would say, no, that's like a chatzitza. You can't, you can't go in a scuba diving suit. And she'll say, it's either that or I'm not going. 
Um, you know, so so what we say, okay, so go home. You can go scuba diving, but you cannot go to the mikvah in a scuba dive. It just doesn't work that way. That's not the way that uh, you know that 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 tevila is going to work. So uh, are we even allowed to let this woman go to the mikvah? And then we should try to come to a lachic conclusion. So we have our work cut out for us this evening. Yes. Oh, is there any harm in going to the mikvah? So that's a good question also. Um, what would the harm be? Mm. Uh, I mean, beforehand, like, it seems like we've never got to the mikvah before, so we know where our status is. But now you'd be at least willing to go to the mikvah, so that could lead issues in the future as well. So at least you've gone, you've gone in the past. So now that you haven't gone, it could be more problematic than the first time when you never went at all. Well, say, I say again, if... Originally, if, if she never went to maybe you can make the case of, maybe it's not laha, because it's intentionally, she's just... Doesn't really know, and now we're right. asking like, okay, I'll try this Sibula thing out. Right. Where it's like, okay, you've got the nikva, and now she's choosing not to every time afterwards. Oh, meaning that's a mutav shi It's like you now you made her amazed because she's like, I don't know about that. We'll have to. Meaning adrava, I would think that let her go, and she'll see the experience, and it might encourage her to start going more. Right. I mean, you might encourage her to want to go more. So let, let, let me start just like with where the school is from. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know of any place where it's from. But I suspect, I suspect that if it has a source, which I don't think it does, but if it has a source, that, I'll tell you why I don't think it does. Um, I got a, I mentioned this uh, Shaila in the Shia recently, and I got a call, a voice note from a very close uh, friend in Talmud, um, who told me that when his wife uh, was first pregnant, when she first got pregnant, before they told anybody, um, a friend of hers was nine months pregnant, and called her up and said, um, next time you go to the mikvah, I'll go with you, and it'll be a big school, and you'll, uh, you know, you'll, and you'll get pregnant. So uh, she didn't tell her friend, no, I'm already pregnant, but she was curious about it. So this uh, a friend of mine called Rav Moshe Weinberger, and he said, is there, uh, you know, what, what's, what's the basis of this school? So Rav Weinberger said, there is no basis for that school, and you should tell your wife to tell her friend that uh, that's not your school. That's not, you know, you don't, you don't hold of that, uh, that school. So uh, Rav Weinberger knows a lot about a lot of, I mean, he reads a lot of these svarim that have a lot of these, uh, these schoolers, and uh, he knows them well. Uh, and he said, apparently, again, I got this, uh, you know, secondhand, not firsthand from him, but nevertheless. Um, but, but if there is a basis, here's what I think it is. There are more rights in your day, some kufzadi chasif mem ches, v'yesh l'noshim li'zoher, kishayotzos min hatvila, sheyivkaba chaverta, sheloyivkaba tchila davertame kim ogoi. That the Ramah writes that as soon as a woman walks out of the mikvah, she should be very careful that the first thing she encounters on her way out of the mikvah is another woman and not a davar tameh, meaning not a non-kosher animal, nor a nachris, nor a non-Jewish woman. And if she encounters one of those things first when she goes out of the mikvah, if she's yirei shamayim, she should go back into the mikvah. Ramah, Ramah in Shulchan Aruch, that says like that. I have a collection somewhere of all the Ramas that are hibijibi, that are you know, seem like uh, superstitious. I actually sent uh, a different Talmud, my different friend, um, in Talmud to, uh, to, to ask that question in a Q&A. Uh, with Rabbi Breitowitz. What, what do we make of all of these Ramas that sound like totally uh, off the wall, right? Meaning not shechting geese in uh, certain months of the year and whatever, right? What, what, what are we to make of these, uh, these Ramas? But okay. Um, so um, he never asked it in the Q&A. He asked it privately, but whatever it is. So the, uh, that's the Ramah. What's the Ramah based on? So the, uh, meaning what, what is the concept uh, based on? So it seems that the concept is that um, when you 
when you go to the mikvah, the first thing that you see when you come out of the mikvah is, is going to have a major impact on you. That it's going to somehow have, a, have an impact on what's going to happen with you. So uh, that's why the Achronim explained in the Shire Tara and the Shulchan Aruch, which is the Sidri Tara, he explains based that, that that's probably why Rabbi, the Gemara Bracha says that Rabbi Yochanan used to stand by the Beis Tvila. He used to stand by the Shari Tvila so that the first thing the women could see when they came out of the mikvah was Rabbi Yochanan, was a beautiful Talmud Chacham, was a significant Gadol the Torah, and maybe that would have an impact on the children that they're going to have, or that would have an impact on the overall kedusha of the uh, of the, of the night. So, uh, so if that's the case, then maybe, maybe Ulai, the basis of the skula is that if the first thing you see when you come out of the mikvah is a big pregnant belly, uh, that that somehow has an impact on uh, on the person. So, if the school exists, my guess is that it's based on something like that. Now, it happens to be the basis of the Achron point out that the basis of this Ramah is probably a Gemara in the 10th parak of Pesachim. You know, Arve Pesachim, we learn very often to learn the halachs of the Seder, but there are a few uh, Dapim in there where they have a lot of uh, interesting stuff, like in the middle, right, with the Zugos or whatever. Right, and so uh, in, in Arve Pesachim, Dav Kuf Aleph, the Gemara says, Haiman de Pagah Be'itzah, Be'idzina de Solka Mitzvilas Mitzvah, if a person encounters a woman when she exits a Tzvilas Mitzvah, I'ihu kadimu mishamesh, if he has Tash before she does, um, you know, she just ran, you know, saw a man when she walked out of the mikvah. So if that man uh, has Tashmish first, then, uh, then he's going to have a Ruach Znunim, like a Ruach Znus. And if she has Tash first, she's going to have a Ruach Znunim. Maitakante, how do you solve this problem? So Mahachi, you should say the following Paskantilim, Khusain Pasm, whatever it is. Okay, so so the the idea is that uh, and you know that, that it's gonna affect you one or the other uh, person. The Rishonim are bothered by that in light of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan sat by the base of Tvila, by the Pesach base of Tvila, and the Rishonim gives several answers. How could Rabbi Yochanan do that? What about the Ruach Zemunim? She's, uh, she's, she's meeting, uh, she's seeing a man on the way out of the mikveh. It's interesting, none of the Rishonim say, yes, she saw Rabbi Yochanan after she came out of the mikveh, but, um, but, but she probably saw the mikveh lady first, meaning the mikveh lady's in the room, right? So when she uh, pops up out of the water, she'll see the mikveh lady first, and then she saw Rabbi Yochanan afterwards. So why, why don't we say that? Why, why did none of the Rishonim give that answer? Tulsim Pesachim answers that Ruach Zunim is only if you see the woman before she gets dressed, which is obviously not what Rabbi Yochanan did. Rabbi Yochanan obviously saw her after she got dressed. Tulsim also answers Ruach Zunim is only if it was Bederich Mikre, but not when one is Koveya themselves for that purpose. Tulsim also answers Rabbi Yochanan must have said the Pasuk in order to protect him. The Ritva said that no, these kinds of things like Ruach Zunim affect lesser people. They don't affect people like Rabbi Yochanan. Okay, whatever your answer is, no one answered that she saw the Mikvah lady first. Why? So maybe, maybe, because that would defeat the whole purpose of Rabbi Yochanan standing by the Shari Tvila. Meaning that the first, the whole idea is that the effect of seeing Rabbi Yochanan is only impactful if it's the very first thing she sees when she leaves the mikvah. So I, I gave you a whole spiel about how I'm not into schoolers and I don't think there's a real schooler, and I just spent half of our time just explaining this schooler. Um, okay, and I still don't think it's a real schooler. So now, let's, uh, let's get into some of the other issues. Uh, our general attitude toward reciting brachos, let's say you're toveling for the sake of a uh, uh, of, of a machlokas. There's some sort of machlokas, whether she's Tamei or not. So one might argue, Safik brachas lahakel. Our Chashulchan says, no, we still say a bracha on, on a tevila. Afilu al Safik kesem mivareches ve'ein tevila below bracha. 
He says there is no such thing as a woman going to the mikvah without a bracha unless she had gone to the mikvah and because of some sort of chumrah, she's going back again the second time that night. You know, let's say she came home and she found a speck of nail polish on her fingernail and she's not sure, maybe this is a chatzitza, maybe it's not. It's not really la'alacha, but as a chumrah, she decides to go back to the mikvah. That's the only time she would be told without a bracha. Otherwise, even if it's a suffix, ain tevila below bracha. Now, what if you're toveling just for a minute? Because there's a chuvas chasam sofer in Chelik Beis Yordeis from Kuvtzadiyalif discusses whether a woman should say a bracha when she's tovelis for a minute, like dam tohar, uh, and that relates to the broader sugya of saying a bracha on a minhag. This is a uh, rabbi's desk coincidence because today we just said a bracha on a minhag because today was Rosh Chodesh and uh, we said a bracha on halal. So apparently we say a bracha on a minhag at least sometimes. So. Um, there's what to discuss as far as that, but for Ashkenazim and yeah, and, and even Ashkenazim, some of us you know might uh, rather listen to the chazan say the bracha and answer amen rather than uh, say a bracha. But uh, now the the question is, what exactly is ma'akev the tevila? Meaning, is this tevila something that's really not going to be valid at all? Um, so the halach is. There is a whole discussion about hefsek tara. Uh, for the uninitiated, hefsek tara is an examination a woman has to do of herself after her period is over to make sure to sort of verify that she's no longer bleeding so that she can go through her seven clean days in preparation of the mikvah. So there is a discussion whether hefsek tara is required midar raisa or only midrabanan. Um, the, uh, the 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 Tosa Rush uh, quotes two opinions. On the one hand, he says that it shouldn't prevent you from going to the mikvah just because you didn't do a hefsetara. But on the other hand, he allows for the possibility that baya hefsaka min torah that it's an actual requirement min torah. Uh, the Orzarua in the beginning of Chesnida brings from the Rashbam that it's definitely only Midrabanan, and uh, but when it comes to, to and and it's only when it comes to Nida Labayla. It doesn't relate. Avsitara doesn't relate to uh, Tumen Tahara to Taharos related related issues. Um, uh, the the uh, the the, the Pashtus, though is that Avsitara is the Oraisa. And even if it's not Daraisa, regardless of whether it's Daraisa or Rabbanon, Chachmas Adam writes that we paskin that it is essential. And if a woman didn't do have Sektara, even if she had all Shivanakim and she went to the mikveh, she is Temeya. So even if this woman just didn't do have Sektara, even if she went through and did all the bedikos that you're supposed to do, all the examinations during the seven clean days, and then she went to the mikveh, you know what we would tell her? Start over again and go again. You have to do the. Um, have sektara in order to be able to go to the mikvah. She would be Tameya. So that's one thing she didn't do that would make this tevila invalid. A second thing she didn't do that would make this tevila invalid is she didn't do bedikos during the Shivanakim. The Shulchan Aruch in Simen Kuvtzad Yivavin Yardayasiv Dalit has a, 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 several shitos as to how many ex- self-examinations she needs to do during the Shivanakim in order to be allowed to go to the mikvah. So Shulchan Aruch writes, B'kol yom emizayim yimeya svira tzricha liyos bodekas l'chadchila p'amayim b'chol yom. Twice a day, every day, for seven days. Uh, she has to examine herself. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. But the Shulchan says, as long as she did one bedika at any point during the Shiva Nikim, she'd be allowed to go to the mikvah. Aval, 
But if she went all seven days without doing self-examination, without doing a badika, and then she waited till day eight to do it, no good. She's not allowed to go to the mikvah. Then the Shulchan says, And yesh omrim that she has to do badika not just at some point during the seven clean days, but on day one and day seven, and if she doesn't do minimally day one and day seven, she's not allowed to go to the mikvah. Now, when the Shulchan Aruch has a stam, and then a yesh omrim, how do we paskin? Stam daya, and then a yesh omrim. How do we paskin? No, it's yesh omrim, yesh omrim, we pass like yesh omrim. The stam and the yesh omrim, we pass like the stam, right? So you'd imagine, okay, we're, we could be makal over here as long as she did one bedikah during the seven clean days, right? The first day I said one bedikah during the seven clean days. Second day, it says she needs day one and day seven. But then the Shulchan Aruch adds two more words. Ve'en l'hakel. So you could throw all the klalim out the window. Because the Shulchan Aruch says, ain l'hakel. You can't be makel on this. I remember we once had such a shayla. I was learning with Rabbi Razer, going back before he made Aliyah many, many years ago. I mean, back in the DRS space magic where we used to learn together every afternoon. And uh, that's what my kids call a T4. Um, you know, I got to learn with Rabbi Razer for years. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he had a shayla. Uh, about a woman who did only one bedika didn't do day one and day seven, and it was a major shasad chak kind of situation, major shalom bias issue, this and that. And he called Rabbi Willig, and Rabbi Willig says, Shulchan says, Ain Mahakel. Rabbi says, I know, that's why I'm calling you Rabbi. <laughs> and Rabbi Willig says, uh, Sometimes Rabbi Razner has to figure out if Rabbi, if Rabbi Razner is Yesh Lahakel. He said, Rabbi, can you tell me? He said, Nope. Rabbi Razner has to figure out if it's, uh, he wouldn't pass him for him. He just, I don't know, it's interesting. Um, we, we were like 27 years old like we were you know it was like we were terrified like what are you doing okay anyway um, another uh, so she didn't do anything this woman she didn't do Batiko she didn't do uh, Afsaktara uh, another thing she didn't well another thing she can do but she really has to do is the Shulchan Paskins that a woman has to look at her body before going to the mikvah to make sure there are no chatzitzas on her body. She at least has to look. Even if she's not going to clean off her body and do everything, at least, at least she has to look. And that's ma'akev, even if afterwards she doesn't see a chatzitza on her body uh, afterwards. So that certainly she has to do. The Shulchan Aruch writes in, in Yerdeus, in Kufzaditas, chol im chafa vi'ina atzma hayom v'tavol b'lol yom acher also l'tfil Okay, that's avulim lo chafa if a, klal, if a woman didn't didn't comb her hair, uh, even though she did look. So if she either skipped looking at her body or she skipped preparing her body, the tevila doesn't work. So this woman did none of these things, right? None of these things. So how can she go to the mikvah with a bracha? Okay, you want to go to the mikvah for school? You could always go to the ocean and go swimming. It's fine. But how could she? How could she go to the mikvah with a bracha? So I, maybe two possible reasons why a bracha might be might be something we'd consider. Possibility number one that I was thinking of: Rav Moshe has a famous tshuva in Yoridechelikdalitziminiyudzayinosiyutes about a, a guy asked Rav Moshe that he had fallen in love with a girl whose parents aren't religious. Um, and he wants to know if there's a problem with marrying her. What's the problem? Just because her parents aren't religious. So he said because her parents never observed Tarsamish Bacha. And the Gemara says that a Bas Nida or a Ben Nida has some sort of pagan. That there's a, that uh, it affects the children if the parents didn't observe Tarsamish Bacha at the time that the child was conceived. So he wants to know if this is something that should stir the Shidduch. Because the, so how do you think Ramosha is going to come down on this? What do you think the, the Pesach is going to be? 
Mekum, right? The question is how you get there, right? There's no doubt whether, <laughs> what the halacha is going to be, right? The question is how you get there. It happens to be the stipler was also asked this question, and they both were Mekum, but for different reasons, right? Uh, the stipler had an interesting story. The stipler said, and it's printed in Karina uh, de Igrisa, the stipler's letters, he writes, um, it's more reason to marry her because uh, you see her kochos and efesh, uh, the, the fact that she's so disciplined and so strong that she overcame. You know, most of us, you know, we, 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 we were born on third base and we act like we hit a home run when we make it, you know, 90 feet further. <laughs> this girl, she had to, you know, she had to overcome a, a predisposition to not having refined midos. And yet everything you know about her is that she has refined midos and she's a bastard. And she's a, so all the more so. That was the stipers for Ramosha has the wildest chiddush. Uh, Ramosha writes... Well, first he says, look, it's not a psuli kahal. It's not like she's a mumser or anything like that. So uh, it's a l'chachil bialma. So, you know, we could, right away, we could look at it with a little bit of a, you know, uh, more mekel uh, type of uh, lens. But Moshe says, you know, mitzvah saying shrichus kavana when it comes to tevila. The halacha is that if a woman is, uh, you know, standing by the edge of a, of, of a mikvah and someone comes and shoves her in and she just fell in, that she's tahora. Uh, you don't need kafana to do tvila. So Moshe says, you know, I hear that uh, a lot of uh, women, particularly non-from women, uh, love going swimming in the ocean during the summertime. They go to the beach all the time. Um, and you know what's a kosher mikvah? The ocean. Uh, so it's very likely that she had her mother did have a tevila. She had a tevila in the ocean. So uh, probably, and normally I wouldn't say that, but she has such fine midos. And Chazal tell us that Abbas Nida doesn't have such fine midos. So it must be that her mother went to the mikvah, not really went to the mikvah, but went to the ocean, and therefore the tevila was valid. There are so many kashas on that, right? Meaning, first of all, maybe she lived in a cold climate. Maybe, maybe you can cheshven, like, was it wintertime when, when, when the girl was conceived? Second of all, the mother probably also wore a bathing suit, which is a chatzitza, right? Meaning there are lots and lots of... Uh, and the mother also didn't do a hefsiktar, all the things we just said. She didn't do Avzikhtara, she didn't do Shivanikim, she didn't do Chaviva, she didn't do Niyan Begufa, none of it. She didn't do any of those things. And, and yet Moshe thinks that somehow it's going to work. In a later tshuva, Moshe says, ah, what about the fact that she was missing all the Badikos and all that stuff? He says, the, the Badikos are only necessary because we paskin that every woman has the status of a Zava Gedola, which is not really true. Most women are really probably just a nida on a Darais level, and therefore they don't need Shivanikim. Uh, too much to get into and explain right now, but we have a lot of chumras now where we require every time a woman goes to the mikvah that she has to go through Shiva Nikim because we're assuming that she's actually a Zavagadola when she's not really, she's really just a Nida. So on the rice level, it did accomplish something, which is essentially what Moshe telling us that even if she did nothing to prepare, if she was Tamea before and she ended up in a mikvah, she accomplished something. Will she have to go again? Of course, because the halach is if you didn't do Avsektar and all that, you have to go again, but. She's not asking that, Shaila. She's asking, I'm going now. Should I say a bracha? Right? So it could be, it could be that, uh, that, that, that uh, she's accomplishing something. However, even according to Moshe, there might be value to the tefillah, but it's hard to say that it's a mitzvah and that you would say a bracha on, on it. The other svara I saw, there's a sefer called uh, Mayan Omer or Me'en Omer, uh, which is uh, like a collection of Shailas that some Talmud of Ravavadi Yosef asked Ravavadi. 
because uh, you know Ravadi didn't have enough of his own shuvah. So no, but uh, you know, so uh, they uh, so in that sefer they said that they had a similar shaila. A woman was going to the mikvah for the first time, but hadn't done any b'tikos. It was a different case because she was just going because she wanted to experience mikvah, and she was you know al haderech, you know, toward tshuva, uh, uh, and uh, she didn't do any preparations the first time. So should she say a bracha? So he tainted yes. You know why? Because uh, when you are teaching children. Uh, how to recite brachas and foods. You know what you do? You have them say the bracha. Aye, but it's a bracha levatala. If they're not eating those foods right now, it's a bracha levatala. It's still in derech lim, but you're allowed, to, you're allowed to have them say the bracha. Why? Because of chinuch. And this is chinuch for this woman. That's what he taught us. It's quite a chinuch. And to apply it over here, where the woman's not al haderech, she's just uh, trying to help her friend get a school up. Then the question becomes, with our one minute remaining, should we even allow such a tevila? If she can't be tovel properly, maybe we should tell her, sorry, you're not allowed here. So there's a, safe, uh, a famous uh, comment of the Sefer HaAkedah on Parshas Vayera. It's funny that it happens to be on Parshas Vayera. But the Sefer HaAkedah writes that uh, apparently there used to be a practice in uh, some town in Europe where there were a bunch of promiscuous women that uh, would, uh, would sleep with men, with single men, and uh, they tainted that they were doing a big mitzvah because these single men had an insatiable yetzerhara. And if these promiscuous women were not uh, available to them, they were just going to sleep with the nation's ish. So they are saving these men from doing a very terrible iser. So says the Akeda, I explained to them, The biggest avera you do quietly, privately, without public approval is not as big as the tiniest Avera that comes with public approval. Meaning if we make a thing like, oh, the rabbis approve of this brothel or whatever, you know, like that is not, you know, that's not something that, uh, that, we, can, that we can do. In a different context, uh, Rabbi Saul Reisman once uh, wrote to me, not that long ago, but a different Shaila, that Rav Palm said that at a Torah Masar convention many years ago, he writes that Rav Moshe, Rav Yaakov, and Rav Ruderman were all asked to give guidance on catering to those who are Shalok halacha anyway. Meaning, for example, communities where intermarriage is rampant, should they arrange for mixed dances so that young Jewish men can meet young Jewish women and they won't intermarry, even though it means men and women are going to be dancing uh, together and they're not married to each other and the women are all nidas and you know all the all the priests that entails. And uh, they all said, no, you can't do that. You cannot put your approval on something that is incorrect, that is improper, even if there's something bigger that's even more uh, improper. So to give our approval that this woman should be able to go to the mikvah. On the other hand, he quotes from Rav Vadi and Tarasabayis, that when a woman is al-haderech to tshuva, or she's making that move to go to the mikvah for the first time, you try to do whatever you can to make it a pleasant experience. You do not send her away because the point is you keep the long game in mind. You have to realize it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and uh, you, you, you want to you make sure, uh, I don't know if I can think of any more cliches, but you, you want to you make sure that she, uh, that, that she has a positive experience so that hopefully she could be on the path to tshuva. End of the day, I told them, I don't think you should uh, say a bracha. I don't think she should say a bracha on this tevila uh, because of all the reasons that, uh, that we said. Then I found, then a friend of mine, Rabbi Warren Cinnamon, sent me that Mayan Omer. Um, I still wasn't convinced. <laughs> Just, you know, I, I, I know he says that they should. I'm still, uh, still not convinced that they should. I think uh, they shouldn't. Okay, have a wonderful evening, everybody.